This is the Coach Brew Show. This is also the world's shortest podcast intro. I don't know if you've heard, but there's this series on Apple TV called Ted Lasso. And uh, of course, you've heard of it. Any college coach has probably heard of it, read about it, and uh, and loves it because it's all about coaching, building relationships, building a team, building a program. And our guest today is not unfamiliar if you've been listening to the podcast for a couple of years, former coach turned entrepreneur, author, speaker, John Brubaker has come up with an idea that I am really disappointed in myself that I didn't come up with it. He has written a book called The Lasso Way. And that is what we're going to talk about today because in this book, which you can order, and we'll give all the ordering instructions, uh, it should be in your library. It kind of goes through the lessons that you can take away as a coach, as a leader, as an individual from the series, Ted Lasso. So Coach Brew, as he is affectionately known, welcome to the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast. So good to have you again. It is great to be back here again, Dan. My uh, The pleasure is all mine. So let's dive into the book. So um, Yeah, I just started walk, walk, reading it myself. It's not bad. Yeah. Walk, walk me through uh the where the idea came from and uh, just what you like about ted lasso having watched the series like so many of us um so i resisted watching the series ted lasso in spite of many people i know recommending it because um i you know i thought it was a show about soccer Mm -hmm. which i and i should mention too that's not your sport your sport is you're yeah, a college a lacrosse, lacrosse coach for a long time. I'm a lacrosse guy. I'm a football guy. I coach college football and lacrosse. But I'm probably most famous for being the only undefeated middle school girls basketball coach in Cumberland Center, Maine. Well, we know what's Two going seasons, on. seasons back to back undefeated. That's nice. Scarborough Christmas tournament champion as well. So with all those accolades on top of those accolades, now you've written this book. Um, what, yeah. once you watched it, what'd you think of the series without giving anything away for anybody who somehow hasn't watched it yet, but exactly the, the, the origins for what got you thinking about writing a book about it? Yeah. So I resisted it because I'm really not a soccer guy. And then one of my coaching uh, buddies, said listen i'm not a soccer guy either it's not even a show about soccer it's uh fascinating study in just uh humanity um i think you would love it given what you do now in your former life as a college coach um so i started watching and i immediately got hooked uh against you know what i thought was my better judgment and it's (laughs) fascinating because as very little to do with soccer. Um, the sport is just sort of in the backdrop, really. It's like, it's it's set in the sport of soccer, but all that really is is the delivery of vehicle. Right. Or what I think is a fabulous message about leadership, uh, human relations. Like, it's a masterclass on human relations, and, you know, we're on the College Recruiting Weekly podcast, and the best recruiters, bar none in every sport at any university, are the ones with superior emotional intelligence, 
and outstanding human relations skills. I think you would probably agree. I, I would. And I would add a third element to that that I picked up since you mentioned those there, first there two. tutor collegiate strategies clients, too. That's the third element, right? <laughs> well, it should be. But what I was going to go with was... Tutor university graduate? He, he, he delivered a very... Oh. I'm trying to shamelessly promote your product and service. And of course, people can go to dantutor.com and find all those great things. But back to the book for a second. Um, he had a very consistent message too, which is something we preach. And to his team, uh, no matter how the season, how the team, how the organization was going, and of course, like any show, it's going to have its ups and downs and dramatic you know, periods of time, but the message stayed the same. So... So I agree with you on all that. So let's back up a second. The the lessons that a coach is going to learn when they pick up the book, which they can get, and I'll mention it several times, you can go to coachbru, B-R-U, coachbru.com. That's the place where you get it. Um, the great. only place where you can get it is not on Amazon because that guy is rich enough, Dan. Okay. I have one kid in college, another one on the way next year. I need all the help I can get. <laughs> okay. We're here to help Jeff you. Bezos doesn't need our help. So yeah. it's not available on Amazon. You got to go to my website. But appropriate for coaches, I'm also assuming you'd say it's appropriate for teams because of the lessons and everything that are are in it. So um, let, let's start with maybe just the, the, uh, the leadership part of this. Sure. And you know, leadership topics, leadership books and training. It's such a huge thing within college athletics. What are, what were your takeaways without giving away too many details of the book? Cause we want coaches to order it, but, Absolutely. but, but what are the, the, the core things that, that you would say Ted Lasso as a leader, as a coach uh, would exemplify in leadership and what coaches could emulate from him? Yeah, he is a, uh, a, a master craftsman when it comes to leadership um so, you know i'll kind of give you the high points of what i believe yeah. and these are actually uh, these are chapter headings in the book i don't give away any of the episodes i don't give away any conclusions of the season or the series you know it's deliberately fairly general what i write about in the book and it's more writing about you know um what coaches and leaders can learn from ted lasso number one is belief in the power of positivity Mm -hmm. he is an eternal optimist and one of my uh one of my readers who recently purchased the book uh texted me today and said hey uh how's the book launch going how, how are the book sales and just for fun i texted him back i said as low as a rattlesnake's belly button but my hopes are as high as a draft's top hat and that was a ted lasso quote from what was a soundbite from one of his press conferences <laughs> um and he knew right away he's like oh yeah i've seen that but so, he so, is but, an optimist so, at heart yeah, yeah. So, so take that back to i mean every coach has their own story and every coach listening to this i'm sure there's times when they're optimistic times when they're down based on results or based on just you know life as a coach so um are we saying or that are you suggesting that a coach has to be optimistic all the time because Ted Lasso even was optimistic most of the time in the, in the show, but he had his moments where he had doubts and fears and, and second guessing and down on himself. So what, yeah. what did you take away as the role of optimism within a coaching life? Yeah, it's not like 
Pollyanna positive, uh, Pollyanna positivity that I'm talking about. I'm talking about like, um, when I say optimism, I also use like the term hope as interchangeable with, with being optimistic. And I think you and your team that you lead, you've got to have hope. You know, if you're going through a rough patch, a losing season, or maybe just, you know, you just lost a game. Um, you've got to have hope that there's a brighter future ahead. And you, I think coaches as recruiters are all dealers in hope. Yeah. You know? And the ability to instill and sell that belief is huge. And, and he does a wonderful job of that in the, in the show. And we started talking about this and we got onto the idea of, of hope and optimism. And it's interesting. It started, I asked you about leadership. So could you be a leader, effective leader without the hope and the optimism? And like, where does that play like in being an effective leader in your mind? And also just from based on your experience as a college coach. So, you know, I think that, I think it's kind of generational and it was probably a lot easier for Bobby Knight in his prime. um, God rest his soul. He just passed away recently. Uh, It was probably a lot easier for him to um, be forceful and use negativity and, and um, just behave the way he did on and off the court as a leader right. a generation ago. And, you know, times change, people change, uh, parenting changes. Right. I think it's harder and harder to be pessimistic or, or use negativity as a motivator today. Like, I yeah. don't think that sells or works long term i think you really need to be more positive and encouraging and and that's i think a lot of the charm to this series and you know i talk about it in the book what's interesting too is that you were as you were talking about that i was thinking huh well was there an example of the bobby knight type character in ted lasso and my my first thought was rupert who owned the team and then lost the team to his wife, which is sort of part of the story and then owned a competitive team. And uh, he throughout the whole series kind of leads and manages and uh, is, you know, the, the owner that uses a lot of pressure and negativity and, and, and hired uh, a coach intimidation. Right. Yeah. 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 So it's, it's interesting because, I mean, you could say, well, he was successful. He was a billionaire and owned this team. And, and yet um, you see a lot of examples where uh, the negativity and the lack of positivity affected the people around him and ultimately, um, you know, was his undoing or certainly lack. He just, he couldn't get over, um, couldn't achieve some of the goals that, uh, that he wanted. Anything else when it comes to leadership that you came away with after, writing the book and really sort of thinking about uh, Ted Lasso, the series. Yeah. Leading with purpose and a vision is uh, I think first and foremost, first and foremost, in my mind, Um, he always had a higher purpose than just winning. Uh, You know, he was in the relationship business way more than he was in the soccer or the coaching business. And just having a, a genuine concern for the people you lead uh, whether they're healthy, injured, uh, physically healthy, or mentally healthy. You know, they brought in a sports psychologist at one point in the series, you know, for that reason. And um, 
you know, he really tried very hard to uh, to walk his talk with that and for him to go see her as well. And, you know, I think that's part of the purpose and the vision. You know, don't ask people to do something you aren't willing to do yourself. And, you know, he really always tried to model that uh, every step of the way. And I, I just think there's so much to that that, um, you know, ideally, I, I, I would love to see people not just buy this book, but like use it as a reference, a, a reference material, if you will, uh, and watch, if not the series, but like highlights or clips from it with your team, because th that reinforces what you see in action there. And yeah. does that answer your question, Dan? Yeah, yeah, no, and it brings up sort of the point that as you were talking, what came to mind was uh, that he was he was happy and certainly had a vision for what he had control over. And yet, again, what makes any good series is drama and, and tension. And, yeah. and there were lots of times where he had to sort of survive and thrive or try to thrive with stuff going on around him that he had no control over from the owners, from his assistant coaches, from a player, from all these things that I think, and again, bringing it back to college athletics and coaching now, coaches have to deal with. And sometimes yeah. that's the stuff that gets them distracted. They get focused on that. They get down on themselves. They thought they were going to get the new facility. The funding fell through. And now I have, I still have the crappy locker room and the subpar. I don't have turf versus grass or whatever it is. And um, Ted Lasso, one of the lessons was, I think, you just do it. You just get it done with what you have and your attitude sort of drives that. I, maybe that's your point as well that you're under this. Yeah. And I think from a recruiting standpoint, you know, he learned how to deal with, you know, with some of that adversity you referenced, he learned how to deal with, you know, media hit pieces, if you will. Uh, he learned how to deal with, you know, kind of a turncoat assistant who was quote, you know, negative recruiting or being very critical of Ted uh, in the media and how to spin that. You know, uh, he had a very self-deprecating sense of humor. There's one scene in a press conference where he was asked about some negative things his former assistant, who is now the head coach of a rival team, said about him. And uh, he said, yeah, he's probably right. You know, I'm probably not the greatest coach. And then he went on what was, I won't spoil it for anybody, probably a 10-minute rant um, talking about how bad he was hmm. and how little he knew, not just about English soccer, but about the culture over there in England as well, and was able to take that negativity and spin it into a positive. And, you know, that's eventually what ended up being in the media's eye and going viral, if you will. And I think, you know, coaches today need to learn how to handle that negative recruiting without, you know, without like stepping into those dirty waters themselves. Sure. Sure. So that's, we talked about leadership. The other second point that you talked about was relationships. And you know, of all the coaches you could have portrayed in a TV series or a movie, um, he was probably the most touchy-feely, um, emotionally connected or wanted to emotionally connect with his players and those around him. Um, so what, what were your observations about the right way he did that? And maybe what made that at least in this, again, if we're talking about a fictional character here, sure. but what made him successful when he did that? 
he had a self-deprecating sense of humor, which we kind of alluded to with that press conference. And uh, that's very disarming. And if you're willing to make fun of yourself and you're willing to be vulnerable, which ultimately it's, I think the ultimate form of vulnerability is making right. fun of yourself in a playful way. Right. But there's always an element of truth to that. I think that's huge. And I think that's something he did better than I ever expected was his ability to be, to, to lead through authenticity and vulnerability. He was, you know, he was himself. He didn't, uh, try and be something or someone he, he wasn't. And um, I think there's a huge message in there for coaches, you know, getting the same experience uh, when they arrive on your campus after they sign is the, are they getting the same guy or girl that they got during the recruiting process? Right. And just not being afraid to be yourself. And I was just going to ask that you kind of think about your coaching days because you coached in division three and uh, we're a head coach and successful, and um, and yet on the relationship side, what you just talked about being self-deprecating and and a little maybe that comes with humility. That's one of the hardest things for coaches to do because there is also the flip side of the coin, which I need to portray strength and, and perfection, and I've got this under control. And um, so, do you see times, you know, first of all, maybe related back to coaches you still know. That struggle with this but did you struggle with that as a coach and and maybe how and and what looking back what would you have done differently um it's interesting you mentioned that i was having the conversation this morning with a, a coaching colleague of mine and i said this series and writing this book almost makes me want to go back and do it all over again hmm. knowing now what i learned through the series and through writing the book almost not quite <laughs> almost uh because it, the job's gotten harder and harder and i think one of the tough things you alluded to this is like how you need to portray strength and um you can be authentic and vulnerable and you don't always have to think you know the answers or give the impression that you do um but so often we get caught up in keeping up appearances Mm -hmm. And, you know, even when we're losing, we need to portray strength. And I remember at uh, uh, the NCRC event that you've hosted every year, I remember hearing Paul Biancardi speak about this. I think and he's an ESPN, ESPN basketball analyst. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, just to I believe it might have been when you had it in Charlotte, North Carolina. But he referred to how important it is to keep up appearances. And the most important time to go recruiting was uh, the day after a loss, mm. especially if you're on like uh, a losing skid and people are wondering, you know, is that staff going to make it to the end of the year? Like what's going on with this program uh, to, to keep up appearances. Right. And. Well, and, it, and also when you say that, that's not meaning that you're trying to lie or fake, no. but, but almost to say, Hey, look, life's still good. We lost that one, but here I am. I'm recruiting you. I'm positive, like where the program's going. And so it goes actually back to one of that leadership point you made of optimism and, and yeah. positivity. But not to uh, be disingenuous about it. You, you right. need to keep a certain element of appearances up. Like we're still working hard. We're still out here. Um, but yeah, things aren't going great right now. Like all you need to do is turn on the TV and you can see that. Yeah. Um, with our program, but we're still working hard and we're still optimistic about the future. And yeah, I think that is, uh, there's a huge lesson there. 
Yeah. Um, so we talked about um, leadership and relationships, and then I added a third one that he had a very consistent message, um, which again, we, from a purely recruiting tactics standpoint, you're consi- you have to consistently be out in front of your recruit, we feel, based on the research. Um, and I'm putting you on the spot a little bit, but from a message standpoint, do you see elements in the show where Ted Lasso was was very consistent in the messaging? Uh, and I have something in mind, but I wanted to hear what what you had to say about it. Um, well, I mean, when he arrived there, you know, he hung that sign up that said "Believe," and that's what I was going to go with. Yeah, and, and that's actually on the cover of the book. It, yep. it is the sign "Believe," and you know, that's being a dealer in hope to get back to what we started with. Uh, and, and you got to believe you as a coach, you need to believe in your system, your staff, your players, like it's all centered around that. And, um, you know, with that are some great lessons in just how he built his culture too. You know, uh, you can hang a sign that says believe, but if you're not empowering your, your athletes, if you're not willing to listen to them and collaborate, how much do you really believe, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so he absolutely walked his talk with that kind of, if you will, slogan um, in just about every which way when it came to his you know, relationships with the players. Is that right. where you were going to? Yeah, yeah, no, I, I think so. And, and the other thing I would add is um, just when it comes to, you know, we talked about the, the sign. The other thing that... I think the way, a lot of the ways he delivered his message out to their fan base was through the press conferences. And there were some really great scenes throughout the series when he was in front of the English press um, talking about, you know, in all different facets of their development as a program. And, <laughs> yeah. And so that in a, in a sense was, you know, whether the character, whether they intended to have the character be very cognizant of what I am saying uh, it ended up being you know element of honesty, but also consistency that that he didn't really waver. He didn't let the pressure or the expectations or some sort of you know message come through to him that hey you're doing stuff wrong. And he said, uh oh, I am. I'm going to do it this way now. He maintained his consistency, and the message stayed the same. And I think that's a lesson for coaches in that you. You have to decide, you touched on this a few minutes ago, you have to decide who you're all about. And I have to to lead the program the way that I want to lead it. And you're going to have so many people saying, oh, you're doing it wrong. You should have done it this way. Here's another way to do it. Especially if you're a head coach, no matter what level, you have to be the person that says, this is my program. I rise or fall with my decisions and I'm going to do the best I can, but we're going to do it this way and we're going to stay on message. And uh, whether that's to recruits or fans or within the department that we coach at, that's what I took away from that, that message portion. Absolutely. The, the consistency of it all was, was beautiful and subtle, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. and it also goes back to kind of that vision and purpose that he had. Um, you know, the one thing we didn't really touch on was um, just his level of empathy and emotional intelligence. And I think that just plays in so much with recruiting. Yeah. And, and just, yeah, the, the intuition he had about people and what drove them and what, uh, you know, so many different examples of the way he would go to players to get the most out of them. 
and all of that, all of them were different in the sense of their personality and what, what the driving force was and what they were afraid of or what they were wanting. And, and uh, like most coaches should be, he was somebody who really understood this is what makes this player tick and here's how I'm going to approach him. Not in a manipulative way, but in a, you know, in a, you know, I'm going to get the best out of you way. Absolutely. And right down to his relationship with the owner. Right. He kept showing up every day. He brought her a little box of biscuits. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, he kind of knew her love language, if you will. Right. He appreciates gifts and acts of service. So that's what he did for her. Um, And he eventually won her over. Right. It's her better judgment. Right. Uh, That consistency. Yeah, exactly. Messaging and asking her questions, being willing to being willing to listen. Uh, even when she gave him some very difficult to hear feedback at times. Right, right. So one thing that, of course, you don't really focus on in the book because it's not a major theme of the show, uh, but talk to me, just your impressions, what you sort of off the top of your head would say, uh, Ted Lasso, the recruiter, what if, because he, in the show, comes from college. And and for those of you, again, who have no idea, you've never watched the show, you don't know the character, it was based on sort of a uh, a spoof character that Jason Sudeikis, the the actor who plays Ted Lasso, did sort of emulating like the typical almost SEC football coach, um, you know, persona. And he was doing this, you know, on the side, just some YouTube videos and um, and that's what was the origin for them wanting to do the series was this character that he sort of invented on the fly. Um, so even though, again, it wasn't, the show wasn't about recruiting. He's a coach. He came from college. He had to sell the idea and produce the message that got his team on board. Talk to me just about your impressions of, of Ted Lasso, the recruiter. Well, Ted Lasso, the recruiter, it reminds me of an old saying in sales um it's what the three sws some will some won't so what (laughs) some will buy some won't so what you move on and i I see him as that kind of recruiter i'm gonna unapologetically be myself kind of corny dad jokes you know right down to the khakis and probably the new balance dad sneakers like and some are gonna love that some won't they're not for us those aren't our kind of guys and so what like there's enough to go around we're going to find the people that are that our message and our culture resonates with right and i think you know by him being that way i don't want to say polarizing because then that starts to sound like 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 politics today right either over here or way over there right but like he um the wrong prospects will be repelled by his message and personality and that culture. And it'll automatically attract, I think like a magnet, uh, the right kind of prospects for him because those are the people that he's gonna you know, resonate with. Right. And that's how I see Ted Lasso being a recruiter. Yeah. And I'm and, curious to ask you how you would see Ted Lasso, the recruiter. Well, so let me first say, like what you were talking about, the polarization, and we sort of frame that in a negative way, which happens a lot in politics, in your example. But like one thing I think most coaches don't do well enough is go to the, the extremes and not, not a political extreme, 
but the extreme of here's what we're all about, here's who's right for us, and then over here on this side, this is who's wrong for us. If you're this type of player or you want this type of coach or you're into these types of things in a program, we're not for you. And I can think of a lot of different colleges that are doing a better job of that, just not a, not an athletic team, but just the college in general saying, here's who we are, here's our personality, and here's who we're not. And whether you like them or hate them, would you want that or not want that? Now I have the ability to say yes or no versus the mass of colleges and really most college coaches who say, well, here's our locker room, here's our facility, here's our record, we have these degrees, here's our campus. And that might be the 17th or 18th time I've heard a coach say those exact same things. If I'm a recruit, now how do I decide? Here's Very our brochure that looks exactly like the other 16 brochures you got. Right. And yeah. and so it becomes this, you know, what happens in, you know, again, moving away from college athletics, college marketing in general is very much we want to we want to apply to everybody. We want somebody in every segment of life in our society to want to come to our college. And that's not only not realistic, it's a horrible marketing plan. And when coaches emulate that, they end up with very mediocre results. Um because they sound like everybody else. And look, um, Alabama football, the last decade, could sound like everybody else, and that's okay because they're Alabama football. So there is a 0.5% in any sport that it's gonna work. But when other coaches, the other 99.5% try to do what that 0.5% does, it doesn't work, it doesn't build your program, it will end your career early, and that's, that's the thing that I see, yeah. you know, and I feel for coaches who are trapped in that cycle of we're just going to, you know, here's what we have prospects and we've got this too and look at our stadium and well, okay, you're, you're putting yourself in the same group with everybody and, and now it's just you're, you're going to get recruits. Are they the right ones? Maybe, maybe so. Are they the ones who want to be there or they're going to transfer after a semester or a year. I don't know, maybe some will, some won't. And that's where the unpredictability starts. And that's what I think really hampers or even destroys a coaching career is when you recruit the wrong kids because you never really told them what you were about. They don't find that out until they show up on campus. Yeah, they blend in too much instead of standing right. out. You know, right. like, and I've always said the only place of vanilla cells is in the ice cream aisle of the store. <laughs> That's right. No, very, very true. Very true. So um, last question. <clears throat> and again, people can order the book at coachbrew.com. Great for your coaching library if you're listening to this. Um, outstanding to read through with your team because it's not a 400 page, um, you know, hardbound book. It's more of a, you know, takeaway, study it, write notes in it, and and you'll be able to get through it fairly, fairly quickly and easily but some really great ideas for the team to talk about. Um, it's a whopping 73 pages long, Dan. Right. So, so again, easy if you're looking for something yeah. to do uh, with your team. So my last question is sort of on that point for a team, for an athlete, because we've been talking about the coaching side of this, for an athlete who reads this or a coach that orders these and has their athletes read it and they sort of go through some, you know, maybe discussion with them. What does an athlete come away knowing about you know, how to be a better athlete, leader, um, and, and, and contributor? I think a big piece is uh, a lesson on empathy. 
uh, both in the book and also in the series. Um, you get to see uh, firsthand in the TV series uh, just how different and unique and diverse that roster is. Mm-hmm. And at, at first, some of the guys butt heads because uh, they're literally coming from different countries and, and a different world yeah. in many cases. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, Ted kind of helps navigate that maze and helps facilitate them being a little more empathetic and understanding with each other because they're all arriving to the same locker room, you know, with very different backgrounds and experiences. And I think that is a microcosm of society, the workplace, universities uh, in general. And I think the the sooner you can learn to navigate that as a, a player on the roster, a captain on the team, you know, the better it will serve you both, you know, on and off the field, but also in life. Yeah. So I said that was the last question. I do have one more last question just to wrap it's this conversation bonus, up. A, a bonus it's a, it's question. A bonus question. That's right. It's extra time. I'm on extra the hot time. Seat. Let's keep to the soccer theme. It's extra time here, John. Um, something that you, through writing and researching and really studying his character, came away with that you really like, or, or if, again, if you went back into coaching, that you would want to emulate about Ted Lasso that we haven't talked about yet? Um, so I, I was actually in the process of writing an article about that this morning, Dan. And it is, you know, if I had a do-over and I went back and did it again, uh, the way I would kind of want to channel Ted Lasso is um, not take myself or my job as a, quote, coach of whatever sport mm-hmm. Quite so seriously. You know, I think coaches tend to be fanatical about one thing, and that's coaching their sport. And they tend to take everything super personally and super seriously. And I'm not saying what you do isn't important. It is important. Uh, But I think your ability to kind of ride those highs and lows and stay steady uh, can greatly be helped by not taking yourself or what you do so seriously, especially a sport like soccer or lacrosse, which at the end of the day is really a player's game. Coaches have a very limited amount of control. We're not talking about coaches, you know, like in football, on the headset, up in the press box, scripting the whole first series. Like there's way more control there. But, you know, things that are more of a player's game, not taking yourself so seriously. And I think that's contagious. You know, your players tend to to play a little more loosely. They won't feel that pressure as much and it'll help keep them steady and they won't, you know, have all those peaks and valleys in their, not just their performance, but how they see themselves on the day to day. That's what I would implement. Thanks for listening to The Coach Brew Show. If you're not currently subscribed to the podcast, sign up now on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. And for more information to turn your potential into performance, head on over to coachbrew.com now.